Our gospel lesson is from John, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 7. And Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is the word of the Lord. We're in the middle of this sermon series about prayer. And we talked last week and tried to define prayer as a, as a communion, as a fellowship between us and God. A place where God first reaches out to us and we in turn have to reach back to God. And so that is good in as far as it goes, but that probably doesn't answer all the kinds of questions we might have. And unfortunately, there are so many misconceptions about prayer in our culture, and we so often reflect culture rather than Bible. And so maybe it's important for us to try to set aside some misconceptions first in the hopes that that will help us get to sort of some core values about what prayer really is. And the first thing I would lift for you today, and this is a hard one I think for us, although you're going to laugh, so often we think of prayer as a good luck charm. We treat it like it was the lucky rabbit's foot or the horseshoe we nail over the door, and as long as we do it, nothing bad will happen to us. Now, the sad truth, a lot of Christians have this sort of vague feeling that as long as they say their prayers regularly, something about regularly there, I'm not sure, that somehow God will put a protective mantle over us and nothing bad is going to happen. Where do we get that idea? It's not biblical. That's surely not what the Bible says. Maybe you will remember the old joke about the two Presbyterian preachers who are out traveling for their presbytery. And before they set out on a trip, they always pray for God's traveling mercies. Well, they're driving along a two-lane road, and here in Tennessee, some of our two-lane roads are pretty narrow. And as they top a hill, a car comes over, crosses the center line, and crosses back just in time to clip them and knock them in the ditch. Nobody got hurt. The car was dented a little bit, nothing terrible. Police come, everything is sorted out. They can still even drive the car. And they're driving along and one says to the other, well, gee, we prayed for protection. Look what happened. And the other one thinks a little bit and he says, yeah, but think how much worse it might have been if we hadn't prayed. <laughs> and, and, and see, that's kind of the way we think about prayer sometimes. I'm not making fun of praying for safety. We prayed for y'all's safety when we were back here getting ready to come out for service because you're traveling today. We often pray for safety in travels. And that's a good thing. 
but it's not a good luck charm that will protect you if you go out and do foolish things, and sometimes even if it's not your fault at all. Praying for God's protection is good and it's noble. How many good, honest Christians have done just that only to fall victim to something awful? It happens. Nowhere, nowhere are we ever promised that God will protect us from all dangers. That's not what the Bible says. And to do that, it would be a direct contradiction of God's character. First, he would have to take away our free will, and God's not going to do that. If you want to behave foolishly, he'll let you. And secondly, God's not going to revoke the laws of nature, because that causes even more chaos. You only need to turn on the local TV or look on the Internet or however you get your news, and you know what I'm talking about. On the other hand, you don't have to do that because you're very much aware of it in your own lives. You've seen it happen. I've probably told this story before, but when I was a youngster growing up in the country in North Carolina and across the road neighbor, they were farmers, the youngest son, I guess really he was the only son, was backing up a piece of farm equipment with a tractor. And his father stepped between the wagon and the silo. And he killed him. He didn't see him. He didn't mean to. These were church-going people. I'm sure they prayed for each other's protection. But if we do foolish things trying to save a moment, there can be awful consequences. The laws of nature aren't going to be set aside for us. And so if you go out there today and you fail to put on your seatbelt, well, God didn't make you do that, did he? So if we pray for safety and then run helter-skelter through life, not doing what we know is the best we can do, then who is at fault there? And sometimes even when we do the best we can do, there's still consequences to behavior. God doesn't promise that he will take it away, but God always promises he'll be in the middle of it with us. And down through the centuries, if you look at some of the, the, those people we think of as the best of the Christian faith, those folks we now refer to as saints, those are often people who have had the greatest struggles and sometimes the worst of things that happened to them. But they knew that in the middle of whatever difficulties life brought, God was there. And that's what we depend on. So prayer's not a good luck charm. But we are promised that Jesus will be with us. Jesus says, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. The second thing I'd say to you that prayer isn't, and this is a lot like the first, prayer's not just an emergency device. Don't wait until you're in trouble to start praying. You know, it's not the parachute, it's not the airbag that deploys when life is going to pieces. 
It needs to be a regular part of who we are. But an awful lot of us, including sometimes myself, tend to use prayer in just that way. Life's going along swimmingly, and we just sort of let it go, and we forget. Again, the story is told of the sea captain who is on his ship in a terrible storm, and the crew is beginning to fear for their safety, and the captain refuses to do anything but what he's doing, and finally the crew demands that he pray, but the captain won't do it. He's convinced his seamanship will see him through. Well, finally, the waves and the wind are such that he is driven to his knees, and his prayer is, God, I haven't talked to you in 15 years, and if you get me out of this, I won't talk to you for another 15. <laughs> We're not quite that silly, but almost, aren't we? That's so typical about us. I don't want to ever limit what God can do in prayer. God can do what God chooses to do even when we are sporadic in our praying. But prayer is more than just the emergency device that we pull out when we're in trouble. There's a third negative I want to lift before you. And this is a hard one for some of us. But prayer is not a blank check signed by God that gives you anything you want. Most of you won't remember, some of you will, the uh, famous TV preacher Norman Vincent Peale. Some of you will remember that name. He also wrote in the paper, and he was sort of this uh, uh, positive, um, the uh, hero of positive thinking. If you think well, good things will happen. And he writes in one of his books that a woman had heard one of his sermons and she decided she was going to pray. And then when it didn't happen the way she wanted it, she writes him back and she says, Dear Dr. Peel, I have prayed exactly as you suggested and it didn't work. For years now, I've wanted a home of my own. And recently I found just the right house in the community, but I didn't have enough money to pay for it. So I started praying for money. I prayed faithfully and regularly for months, but I still couldn't raise enough money to buy the house, and just the other day somebody else bought it out from under me. If all things are possible in prayer, why did this not work out for me? Ever felt like that? We want what we want when we want it? But prayer's not going to be God's blank check to you. God's not the great... Santa Claus in the sky who gives us everything we think we want. But today's text, if misunderstood, can make you think that. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. The problem, of course, is when we read a passage like this, we see the promises we don't see the conditions that make those promises possible. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then it shall be. And it has to be within the spirit and the character of Christ. Jesus does that himself. The prayer we just prayed. 
We pray for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done before we say, Gimme. Right? Or Jesus in the garden that we read last week, Not my will, but your will. Is it the best thing for the kingdom and for me and for society? Those are the kind of prayers God's interested in taking care of. There's nothing wrong with praying for stuff we need, whether it's a new house or something else, but we really tend to confuse desires and wishes, and we're particularly good at messing up between extravagance and real need. Prayer's just not a blank check. That God's going to give you every single thing you ask for. And yes, I know there's a whole realm of folks on TV that tell you otherwise. That good old-fashioned prosperity gospel. It's a lie. It is a lie. It is a lie. And it will always be a lie. Final thing I want to say to you is that prayer at its very best, is changing our will to God's, not making God change His will to ours. And that may sound funny to you, but that's pretty important. There are hundreds of examples. The one I came across to use, a fairly wealthy family had sent their son to a rather prestigious university. He had taken his degree. He was ready to graduate. And in the midst of that, he had become active in a local church and became convinced that God was calling him to engage in mission work. Well, his mother was determined he was going to enter into the family business. After all, that's what he had been trained for. And so she comes and she talks to the minister and being wishy-washy like we preachers usually are, he agrees he'll talk to the son. So he sits down and he talks to the son and he's convinced that this boy really has been called by God. And he goes back to the mother and says exactly that. And she says, then I will storm heaven with my prayers and change God's mind. How arrogant is that? You think that works very well? And if it did, what kind of a relationship do you think she would have had with her son when it was over? Prayer is changing us to meet God's will for us. If God loves us, if God loves us as if we were the only one to love, if God wants the best for us, which is what we always say is true about God, then why would we not want God to do what is, in His understanding, the best thing for us? Why would we want something else? Just because it sounds better? Who knows more about us? Us or God? 
I'm sure there are dozens of more fallacies in the midst of our prayer life we don't have time to do anymore. These are the ones I lift for you today. But think about your own life. It's not enough to come to church and say, well, that was a eh, okay sermon on prayer. You know, it doesn't matter if you're not putting your prayers into practice. That really is the key. You're learning to talk to and listen for the King of Kings. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.